Welcome back to Half the Battle. I'm your host, as always, Daniel Levy. Today, we're going to be talking about UFC 276, Israel Adesanya versus Jared Cannonier, and the trilogy between Alex Volkanovsky and Max Holloway, because it's going down this Saturday night in Las Vegas, Nevada, live at the T-Mobile Arena. I mean, I think this is the best card of 2022, at least before the fact, right? I know a lot of these cards we've been saying, oh, this one's the best, and that one's the best, but honestly, between you and me, this one's the best, and it's very, very exciting times when you have a card that it's not just the main card that's stacked. It's not just a couple select fights. Uh, this is literally stacked top to bottom, and I cannot wait to just get down to business. I mean, this main event between Izzy and Jared Israel wants to be the greatest middleweight of all time. He wants to break Anderson Silva's record. Anderson Silva has the record for the most title defenses in middleweight history with 10. Now, I know officially Demetrius Johnson has the, the record for most title defenses in UFC history, but, you know, my boy Anderson wasn't out here defending his belt against the Chris Carriasso's and the Wilson Hayes's. No disrespect to them. Anderson was defending his belt against the Dan Henderson's and uh, the Rich Franklin's and, the you know, the real of the real, the Chael Sonnen's. So I still consider him the guy with the most title defenses in UFC history. And Izzy wants to be right up there. And he gets a win here. Then you got some more emerging contenders. You got the fight between Sean Strickland, Alex Pereira. Also on the card, very, very exciting times. And then the trilogy between Max Holloway and Volkanovsky. I mean, guys, like, first fight I thought was a pretty clean shutout for Alex Volkanovsky. But the second fight, the kind of adjustments that Max Holloway made, you know, I had a bet on, on Volk in both fights. But the second fight, I thought I got lucky at the time to cash that bet so it's good to see them run it back and hopefully there's some closure because i mean let's say max comes out here and gets this dub we might be looking at a quadrilogy so let's say volkanovsky gets a controversial win would we be looking at a, a quadrilogy then because i mean you know there is josh emmett there you know there's a couple guys waiting in the wings but i think that max holloway is the clear-cut number one contender in the featherweight division so there's just a lot to talk about, so we're going to get right down to business. Everybody watching, do us a huge favor. Do me a huge favor. Smash that like button. Hit the subscribe button. Retweet on Twitter. Share, comment, like, all that stuff. Truly, truly appreciate it. And without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, let's get right down to business because the main event of the evening for the undisputed middleweight title of the world, you got the champ. Israel Adesanya, he's 22-1, and one, representing Nigeria and New Zealand. Now, I think he's actually only representing Nigeria now because um, I know officially he lives still in New Zealand, but I think he didn't like certain things going down there. So he said, uh, you know, actually his shorts are green this weekend. Normally the, the champion gets black shorts with the gold riding. His shorts are green with the gold riding this weekend, which is kind of interesting. He's taking on Jared Cannonier, who's 15-5. and five. And currently... They got it. Izzy Adesanya minus 500. Depends where you look. I see some minus 450s. I see some minus 490s. The comeback on Jared, the killer gorilla cannoneer, is everywhere from plus 375 to plus 390. I even see a plus 405. So if you think that this is a cannoneer's weekend, there's some good comeback uh, on that line. And you know what I like about cannoneer? Well, firstly, it's good to see him finally get his title shot, man. I mean, this is a guy that's been paying his dues for so long and a guy who 
as knock people out at heavyweight, knock people out at light heavyweight. Now he's knocking people out at middleweight, and it's pretty impressive. I think he might actually hold a record, right? Like, isn't he like the only guy to have knockouts in three different weight classes? Like, I know certain guys have wins. Oh, actually, you know, McGregor's got knockouts in three weight classes. McGregor knocked people out at 45, 55, and 70. So, but I think Jared might be the only one to have multiple knockouts in multiple weight classes because with with McGregor, he only had that one knockout against Alvarez. And I say only, like, not to discredit it. That was a huge win against Alvarez and then the knockout against Cerrone. So he's got one in those weight classes, but I'm pretty sure Cannoneer had multiple in each. But bottom line, it's just good to see a guy that's been grinding for so many years finally achieve that title shot because, I mean, the UFC's had high hopes for Jared Cannonier for a very long time. Dana thought that he was one of the guys that was going to make noise. And it was originally a thing where it was like, once he drops down to 205, that's when he was going to make the noise. I mean, you guys remember the fight he had with Glover Teixeira. Obviously, when it went down to the ground, it didn't go his way. But man, on the feet, he even wobbled Glover Teixeira. And, uh, you know, I think Dana thought maybe it was a bit too much too soon. But eventually drops down the middle way and i mean you see the physique on this guy like this is the optimal jared cannoneer here at, at 185 pounds and what he brings to the table that physicality the calf kicks i mean he trains out of the mma lab you know they've made a living off those calf kicks like even dating back to when benson henderson was not just the ufc champ but the wec lightweight champ as well and then obviously the big power with the hands uh he's someone to be reckoned with and then on the other side with Izzy Adesanya, I mean, what, what can you say about this guy, Izzy Adesanya, man? I mean, the guy is a virtuoso out there. And I know that he's been criticized his last couple of fights for kind of playing it safe. I mean, that happens from time to time with these great champions, you know? They, they got so much to lose when you reach that level of greatness. You've defended the belt so many damn times. And it's just a game of inches when you're consistently fighting the best guys on planet Earth. You're not fighting Joe Schmo. You're not in here taking tune-up fights, you know? You're fighting consistently the Robert Whitakers, the Marvin Vittori's, the Paulo Costas, the Yoel Romero's at the time, right? So Izzy is in there with the best guys on planet Earth. And I think one reason why we might see a more inspired performance is because he hasn't been in there with this guy yet. And Honestly, what, something else that's cool is that Izzy's been asking for this fight actually a few years back. Like he noticed Jared Cannonier from the jump when he dropped to 185 pounds. And he said that this is a guy that, you know, he'd like to lock horns with. So I think we might see a more violent Izzy here uh, in, in the Whitaker fight. The most recent one, not the, the first one where it was a demolition, but the most recent one, I thought round one, that was the best Izzy's ever looked. But then he kind of coasted. And I also think that sometimes when these challengers just have, you know, one or two moments of success, people kind of overblow it and kind of downplay the champion, you know, because um, people are trying to say Whitaker won that fight, which I kind of think is a little bit suspect. Like, listen, is Whitaker an amazing fighter? Yes. Is Whitaker one of the greatest middleweights of all time? Yes. I mean, I think Whitaker's, yeah, I think he's phenomenal. It's just, how can you really make that argument that that Whitaker won that fight against Izzy, man? I mean, did he have a moment or two? Yeah, he had a moment or two, but that doesn't 
equal beating Izzy Adesanya. I think Izzy had a big first round, and then he kind of coasted. That that happens from time to time. Jared Cannonier is not a guy you can coast against, especially the middleweight version of Cannonier. You know, the only loss that he had was against Whitaker. There was a big speed difference there. But let me say this. It was a three-round fight. First two rounds, 100%. I mean, Whitaker was uh, giving them what we like to refer to on half the battle as the tour of the octagon. But that third round, Jared Cannonier came on came on strong, came on hard, and I'm curious what would have happened had there been two other rounds. Now we do got a five-round fight, and a lot of these guys, you want to see them in these five-round fights, you know, like the Chito Veras, like I've been talking about, the Bilal Muhammads. You want to see what happens when these fights go to deep waters, and I think Jared Cannonier could possibly be one of those guys where he excels in the deep waters. I mean, that last fight against Brunson got off to a bit of a shaky start, but man, when it was time to turn up, oh boy, did he turn up on Derek Brunson. I also really liked that post-fight speech he had. You know, <laughs> what, what did he say? He said, um, he said, you come at me with the disrespect and uh, you're going to get that backhand. <laughs> and then, uh, then he started screaming at Dana. He's like, Dana, look at me. Look at me. You know, um, And he made him promise him a title shot. So that was pretty badass. And now the title shot is his. And let's see if he can seize the moment. Look, on paper, I mean, you got to favor Izzy. I mean, when I say the size, I'm not re I'm not referring to the mass because I would say, I mean, one of them is a former heavyweight and it ain't Izzy. But obviously the height and the reach you know, has to go to uh, to Izzy Adesanya here. Let's see what the actual numbers say. I know off the top of my head, Izzy's six foot four. He's got the 80 inch reach. Jared's 5'11 with the 77 inch reach. So that is a decent reach for a five foot 11 guy. 77 is nothing to fuck with, but it's just that that fainting game of Izzy is just so, it's something I'm about to talk about with Volkanovsky as well. The fainting game, just having people consistently guessing, the stance switching, the variety of his shots, just the complete arsenal he brings to the table. You think he's going to jab, then he's going to low kick. You think he's going to low kick, then he spins. You know, you think he's going to spin, then he gives you a check knee. And don't sleep on his ground game either. I know that, you know, Blachowicz had a lot of success. Blachowicz is a black belt, and, you know, Blachowicz wasn't able to get off on too much damage, even when he was able to take down. Uh, a guy like Israel Adesanya. So I think that Izzy is actually pretty damn well-rounded despite his reputation of just being a kickboxer. I mean, God damn it, he's the UFC undisputed champion. And even though he lost that fight to Blahovic, who also beat Jared Cannonier, by the way, we can't hold that against him. I mean, there's a saying about, you know, um, failing while daring greatly. And, and that's what he did. And you can't knock a man for failing while daring greatly, you know? So he's got all my respect. I mean, I think it comes down to is, is, is he going to slip in this fight? Is, is he going to, you know, show up unmotivated? Is, is he going to make a mistake? You know, something like that. Because if this is just process versus process, if this is just technique versus technique, if this is just fight IQ versus fight IQ, speed versus speed, I mean, you got to go easy here. It's just, can Jared have some success with kicks? I think it'll be kind of hard because of the range of Adesanya mixed in with the stance switching. Can Jared capitalize on, I guess the one of the only openings I've seen standing against Izzy is sometimes when he circles off the cage, kind of drops his hand, lifts that chin up in the air. Uh, Kelvin Gastelum was able to capitalize on that at times. Even Anderson Silva in the second round was able to capitalize on that, on times, uh, on that at times. Can can Jared Cannonier have any success in that realm? That, that's a that's a big question I have. So um I, I don't think so, but that's what that's why they fight. I mean, no one knows for sure, right? So the pick is Izzy here. And I think the line's about right now. You know, I, I thought that actually there might have been a little bit of value uh for uh for a parlay and this and that. 
um, at minus 300, minus 400, but not, not you know, minus 500, I'm all good. So the pick is Izzy, and uh, let's move on to the co-main event. Um, so next up in the featherweight division, for the undisputed featherweight champion, we got the undisputed champion, Alexander the Great Volkanovsky. Now, he's an Alex that can call himself the Great. He's 24-1, and one, taking on Max Blessed Holloway, who was 23-6, the former champion. And currently, they got it. Alexander Volkanovsky, minus 200. The comeback on Max Holloway is plus 170. So, another great fight. So, I bet on Volkanovsky both times they fought. And... It's one of those situations where the first fight, you know, I got him at plus 160 odds, and I thought that it was a pretty clear, almost a shutout. Second fight, I bet him like minus 180 to minus 215. I don't remember the exact odds. And at the time, I felt kind of lucky to actually get that win, um, whether it was the commentator swaying me a certain way, whether it was my expectations versus the reality of what actually happened. I mean, you just got to give Max so much credit to make the adjustments he made and, and to come out there and really put it on Volkanovsky those first two rounds. But credit to Volkanovsky, you know, we, we can talk about his skills, which I'm about to do in a second, but what about the guy's heart? What about the kind of dog this guy is? What about the kind of resolve? What about the in-fight adjustments that a champion like Volkanovsky can make? Because, I mean, you look back at the Ortega fight, and, again, we can talk about the fainting game. We can talk about the leg kicks. We can talk about the punches and bunches. We can talk about all kinds of things with, with Volkanovsky, the power, but, what about this dude's heart? What about the kind of dog this guy is? What about the fact that this guy was in the kind of submissions that so many other people tapped against or went to sleep against against Ortega? And this guy Volkanovsky finds the littlest of opening and just just to to, to breathe to and just digs deep and, and it finds a way to get out and then just breaks these guys. The ground at pound is vicious. So, you know, pivoting back to the Max Holloway fight, the second one. I mean, when you're down two rounds, and that's something that Volkanovski's not used to being. Volkanovski's not used to being down two rounds. And a lot of guys, you know, they they might kind of break when things don't go their way, especially when they have a history of things consistently going their way. And things weren't going Volkanovski's way in those first two rounds. And to make the kind of adjustments he did in the third, fourth, and fifth rounds, I mean, that's what a true champion does. So now there has to be even more adjustments on both sides because Max did great. Was it a case now where Max did really good those first two rounds? He can carry that success over here and just win one more round, go ahead and steal this decision. Because one, But one thing we got to understand about those first two rounds in the, in the second fight is that they weren't blowout rounds. They were actually very close competitive chess match type rounds, but Max was able to pull away because he had slight knockdowns. He had, he had the bigger moments in the first and second rounds. So, but aside from that, they were they were kind of 50-50 rounds. But Volkanovsky really pulled away. And Max Holloway, a guy who's truly known for his cardio, his output, his volume, he actually uh, was the one slowing down in the later rounds the second time against Volkanovsky, which is something you don't often see. And then Volkanovsky even had a really nice trip takedown, was able to get some top control. And I don't want to say he broke max holloway because you don't you don't break the spirit of a true hawaiian warrior like max holloway and he's not just a, a hawaiian warrior in terms of his heart and his mind what about the dude's chin he's absorbed some of the most strikes in ufc history and the guy's never been dropped in i believe 26 ufc fights like that's unheard of 
But you know who it reminds me of? It reminds me of another Hawaiian warrior, you know, the UFC Hall of Famer, the former lightweight and welterweight champion, BJ Penn, who at one point we were saying the same thing. I mean, this guy's absorbed so many strikes, but there was always the saying about BJ Penn, never been knocked down, never been knocked out until he was knocked down and knocked out, right? Like it eventually happened. So is it eventually going to happen with Max Holloway? That's the big question because... I was thinking it was going to happen last time because no two fights are ever alike, right? You know, most the most recent example is Wiley and Joanna. The first time they fought was this five-round war that a lot of people actually thought Joanna might have won. I personally had it for Wiley. You know, I think when you make your opponent grow a head on their head, you know, I know you got to score it round by round, but still, that's a little cheeky thing to say. But look, the, the bottom line was their first fight was a split decision. Second time, Wiley mops the floor with her. There's so many examples like that. You look at Machida versus Shogun. First time was this five-round ta uh, ta tactical and technical battle. Next time was a first-round finish. You look at Cowboy Cerrone versus Anthony Pettis. You look at um, Cowboy Cerrone versus Benson Henderson. You look at Anthony Pettis versus Benson Henderson. Like All these guys, one of the fights is like a blowout. The other fight's like this five-round war. So now that we're approaching the territory where we talk about what happens if these guys fight 10 times, because usually, usually people only fight once, let alone twice. Now we're talking thrice. Like, this is crazy. Like, you don't often see trilogies in MMA. Now, another interesting example is like Figueredo and Moreno, where they had... You know, the first fight was close. I thought that Figgy won, but because of a point deduction, it was a draw. Second fight was like a blowout on Moreno's side. Third round was a close win for uh, for Figueredo. So, like, every fight is so different. So, that's why, that's why it's kind of tough, right? Because, like, as a better, you know, and I'll just be honest, with recency bias, having cashed those first two bets on Volkanovski makes me more inclined to go with him again. But think about this. They've had two fights. Both fights went all five rounds. And because there were two fights, that means there were six judges, right? And those six judges, five of the six judges concluded that um, the score in, in the fight was three to two. Only one judge concluded that was five nothing. So if this is going to be another three to two type close fight, then the values on Max Holloway. However, back to my other argument about how no two fights, no three fights are created equally. It, it could be a case where now we finally do see that finish on either side. And then another trilogy I like to think about where one guy was, was two oh going into the other one. It actually happened to be with the Hawaiian legend, the great BJ Penn was a uh, BJ Penn versus uh Frankie Edgar. You know, the first time was a very, very close fight. BJ Penn thought he got robbed. Next time was a blowout. And then the and then the third time was a finish. So the first two went all five rounds. The third the third one was a destruction with a finish. Are we gonna see a destruction with a finish here? So what's Max Holloway done since the last Volkanovsky fight? Oh my god, what's he done? He goes out there against Calvin Cater and sets a record for significant strikes landed in a fight, and not just significant strikes landed, but attempted strikes, you know, just the amount of strikes he's thrown in, in a fight. So so it's pretty amazing um, what what uh, what Holloway's been able to do. He goes out there, sets those records against Cater, but then he comes back against Yair and has one of the fights of the year. Now, in that fight with Yair, I'm not going to sit here and discredit Yair because you guys know I've been high on Yair for a very, very long time. Yair, I think he's immensely talented. I think he's underrated. I think that he does things that other people simply don't do. But 
we have to address the fact that Yair actually went out there and won not one, but two rounds. I mean, the judges' scorecards were 48-47. That means it was three to two. So that the reason I'm bringing that up is not to discredit Yair, who I think is phenomenal. It's more so to, again, and it's not to discredit the, the cater fight, which was just incredible. It, it's more so to say that we can't sit here and say what he did to cater. He's about to do here versus Volk. I, I just don't think it works like that. And I thought in Cater's subsequent fight against uh, Josh Emmett, regardless of who you scored it for, I mean, if you bet that minus two something on, on Cater, don't sit here and look me in the eye with a straight face and act like you weren't sweating that fight. Like that was a very close competitive fight between him and uh, Josh Emmett. So I think it was just a stylistic thing for Max to go out there and have the kind of just showcase fight he had against Calvin Cater. I don't I don't see that being indicative of something he's about to accomplish here. So back to this fight, I just have to go back to the elite fainting game. It's interesting when you see a short guy who's he's listed at five six, but he might be closer to five 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 four, right? But he's got a longer reach than Max, who's almost six feet tall. And he's just this bull. He's just this physical presence out there. I mean, I don't have to be the millionth guy to bring up his rugby, his rugby, his former rugby career, which I just did. But um, yeah, I, I think that Volk right now is operating on a different level. So for that reason, I have to go with Volk. But look, obviously, I'd rather the line be you know minus one seventy five, minus one eighty, something like that. Because you, because again, back to the talk about the judges. There's been six judges that have judged their first two fights. And five of those six judges concluded that it was three to two. So if this is going to be another three to two, then there's value at plus 170. It's just there's a chance this is not another three to two. Back to my other argument where uh, no two fights, let alone no three fights, are created equally. This could be the time when, you know, all those shots he's taken finally catch up to him. The weight cuts. I mean, this is a big boy dropping to 145 pounds. And I, and I know he's got his shit dialed in. I know he's got the right people around him. I know, you know, Max Holloway does everything the right way. It's just at some point, like when's that Hawaiian chin going to finally go? We didn't know when it was going to happen with BJ Penn, but it eventually happened. Is it going to happen this weekend? I thought it was going to happen last time and it didn't. So I'm not going to sit here and say Volkanovski finishes the fight, but my pick will be Volkanovski here. I haven't bet it yet just because, because again, you know, is it going to be another close nail biter? then there's probably not too much value at that line. But if it's not, if it's a domination, which it could very possibly be, then, you know, Volk's the side. So I'm leaning Volk, but I'm not going to talk people off of Max Holloway for the reasons I mentioned. I mean, it's Max fucking Holloway, and you're getting a plus 170 next to him. He's got 10 rounds of experience against this guy. But I do think that Volkanovski, not that Max hasn't been leveling up. Leveling up. I mean, to, to be the number one guy, in the world for as long as max has been that means that he's putting in work right so you can't just sit here and act like max is on a decline or max hasn't been showing improvement but max is there to be hit and volkanovsky is going to be there to hit him very very hard and volkanovsky's distance volkanovsky's faints his just ability to change up all levels of the game i think he's superior and for that reason i'm going and still the featherweight champion alexander volkanovsky Featured bout in the middleweight division, we got Sean Strickland. He's twenty-five and three, taking on Alex Pereira, who is five and one. Currently, they got it. Sean Strickland minus one ten. Alex Pereira is minus one ten as well. Interesting fight as well because it's like 
you know, I actually bet on Bruno Blindado at plus 250 odds uh, to beat Alex Pereira for the same reason that I think a lot of people are probably betting Strickland here. You know, you got questions about the MMA experience of a guy like Pereira. You know, he's all, he's only five and one in his MMA career, but he's been able to transition quite well. You know, you see a lot of kickboxers, they come in here and it just doesn't translate, whether it's the Gokan Sakis or, you know, there was uh, this other dude, Galore Bufando, um, who was a lot of fun to watch, but like, you know, sometimes it just doesn't translate. But it's been translating for Pereira. Now, something interesting that Strickland said was that he said he actually didn't think Pereira's striking was that special. He thinks that he actually gets away with a lot more because of his physicality, that he gets away with a lot because he's six foot four with that 80 inch reach. Um, and in turn, Strickland also said that's why a guy like me, who's less, you know, physically gifted, has to work a lot harder. And technically speaking, I'm better. That, that that's what Strickland said, which I thought was actually a pretty interesting point. Um, it's just what's the approach here? You know, it's so easy to sit here and say, oh, all Strickland has to do is take him down. And it's like, well, you watch Pereira's two UFC fights, first fight against Michaelitis. Look, I know Michaelitis ain't the ain't the greatest, but. Mikulitis is usually good for like at least a round, right? And then he fell off a cliff, but like he wasn't able to get off any kind of significant damage. He wasn't able to, you know, even get anywhere near close to any submission attempts. And then you look at the Bruno Blindado fight. Bruno Blindado's had close to 30 pro fights. He actually did score two takedowns on Pereira. Pereira was able to get back up. So, you know, Pereira is absolutely addressing the holes in his game. But here's what you got to understand. You know, Pereira is probably not out here drilling his triangles and his arm bars and this and that. I think it's solely based on either stuffing the takedown, you know, minimizing damage when he's on the ground, submission defense and getting back up. I think that's literally it. So like when people bring up that he's working with Glover, um, you know, don't don't sit here and act like, oh, you know, Pereira is going to come out here and try to submit Sean Strickland. I just don't see that happening. It's more so trying to survive on the mat. And, and Strickland's had his fair share of takedowns in the octagon, too, whether it was the four he hit against Uriah Hall, whether it was uh, the one he hit against Brendan Allen. But Strickland's also there to be hit, which he's been for a long time. Um, you know, he's. He stands straight up in the air. He's got a bit of that tall man's defense. He relies more on parrying shots than he does on head movement. And he's got a very sharp jab. But I'm curious to see if that jab works against a guy who's a lot taller, who's got, you know, uh, quite a reach advantage in this spot. Um, and, and furthermore, one, one thing about Strickland, man, it's like I actually think he's very underrated. And reason being, you look at that fight against Hermanson. Now, I know that fight against Hermanson wasn't the most exciting fight in the world, and, I, and I'm not necessarily in a rush to go rewatch it, but something that truly impressed me was that when you can have a five-round UFC main event against a top-five guy, against a top-ten guy, and you win the fight just with a jab, like, that's really impressive, man. Like, again... You know, it's not fight of the year. It wasn't this knockdown drag out fight where both guys are getting dropped and crazy scrambles and this and that. But just on a technical level to shut out a top 10 guy with just a jab in a 25 minute fight like that, that actually really, really impresses me. It's like some Floyd Mayweather shit. I know someone's going to clip that and be like, oh, my God, he compared Sean Strickland to Floyd Mayweather. Now, that's not what I'm doing. I'm just saying he won a UFC main event against a top 10 guy uh, with just a jab like that's. That, that's pretty damn impressive. But here, 
He's he's got to mix it up, man. Um, but that being said, let's say he does mix it up. Let's say he does get some takedowns. What does that does that mean that the fight's gonna be over then and there? But then you also have to address that MMA experience, which does count for a lot. You know, this ain't the the K one ring. This ain't this ain't glory no more. So I don't know because like the reason I bet uh, Bruno Blandado last fight is the reason that people are betting Strickland here. It's just that plus two fifty and minus one ten are two completely different lines. So I actually kind of do lean towards Pereira because I do think that based on watching Strickland's fights, he tends to come out here and try to jab these guys, which he does a phenomenal job of, but he's there to be hit. Like even that Brendan Allen fight, he was getting tagged up a lot in that fight. He eats a lot of shots. That's what I'm most worried about. So yeah, I lean towards uh <laughs> someone said Sean Strickland is clearly better at boxing than Floyd Vero. That's funny, Damien. <laughs> <laughs> that actually made me laugh. Um, Aline Pereira, I think he's going to get off more damage, but I don't know. I don't know. I think that the people taking Strickland have sound logic here, like more MMA experience, can mix things up. There's only one path to victory here for, for Pereira. So I get it. I just have this feeling, not that feelings mean shit, they really don't, but I have this feeling that Pereira is going to, get off on some damage standing and not necessarily he's going to stuff the takedowns, but I think he might be able to get back up. Let's see what happens. Let's see. No bet here on my part. So I'm just going to sit back and enjoy this one. Now, next up in the welterweight division, we got a showdown between the future UFC hall of famer, the former UFC welterweight champion, Robbie Lawler. He's 29 and 15 taking on the very, very tough, Maybe a future legend, Brian Barberena, who's 17 and 8. And currently they got it. Robbie Lawler minus 125. The comeback on Brian Barberena is plus 105, plus 100. Just depends where you look. This is a great fight, man. I mean, Robbie Lawler, a guy we all grew up watching. I mean, I remember when uh I remember a lot of things from Robbie Lawler. The 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 devastating knockout against Mel- Melvin Manhoof when he was getting his leg chopped off and then he just found that one opening and just put him to sleep and you know this is a guy that we've we've been there we've seen the ups and downs it's just my boy's 40 years old now and not saying that you know a legend like like Lawler can't have you know one last hurrah or this or that because from time to time you'll see these legends go out there and show out i mean y'all saw that rda y'all saw rda's last fight man i mean he put it on the young man and then on the other side of things with Barbarena, look, I know he's 33 uh, and Lawler's 40. So on paper, oh, my God, he's seven years younger and this and that. But it's like he's not necessarily a young 33. I think Alexander Volkanovsky, I'm not sure how old he is. I'm, let's just say he's 33. That's what a young 33 looks like. Whereas I kind of think that, you know, Barbarena is a bit of an older 33. And we talk about how the fights with Rory McDonald, the fights with Carlos Condit took a lot out of uh Robbie Lawler, but I think the fight with Vicente Luque took a lot out of Brian Barberena too. It's, it's just one of those things where, you know, it's easy to sit here and write off, oh, but Robbie only got dominated by Colby. He only got dominated by RDA, this and that. Okay, that's fine. We don't got to talk about that. No, no, no harm, no foul. But what about getting dominated by Neil Magny? What about gassing out one minute into that Neil Magny fight? Like that, that's not a good look. But then on the other side of things with Brian Barberena, like, okay, losing to Jason Witt, is that not a, is that not a red flag? Now, nah, check this out, y'all. 
if okay, it'd be one thing if if Jason Witt, you know, wrestled him for three rounds and this and that, we wouldn't have held it against him. But if I were to tell you right now, let's say you never saw the Brian Barbarena versus Jason Witt fight, and I were to tell you right now, let me ask you this, or let me tell you this: someone got knocked down in the Brian Barbarena versus Jason Witt fight. Who do you think it is? Of course, y'all would be like, oh, yeah, Jason Witt got knocked down. The guy with no chin against Barb? Come on now, of course. Jason Witt knocked down Brian Barberena. That's a big red flag, my guys. That being said, sometimes I feel lately especially that Robbie Lawler is resorting to those old tactics. Like, if you go back and you watch his strike force days, like there was this fight he had with, with Babalu Sobral, where he literally just shadow boxed for three straight rounds, was throwing at the air. It was like, oh my God, dude, like, what the fuck is going on? And in these last few fights, minus the Diaz fight, where, you know, Diaz had to change the weight class the week of the fight, and Diaz was looking, my boy Diaz looked like he wasn't uh, doing his triathlons for that one. Let's leave it at that, you know? He wasn't eating his vegan meals and, uh, you know, doing his bike rides and his swims. My boy was out here token on the bong, you know, and eating Cheetos for that fight, right? So, you know, not to discredit Robbie's win, he, he did his thing, man, but it's like, how much stock do you put into that? And Brian Barberena, at least he can still dig deep. At least he can still throw big output. Um, now, Robbie did throw a big output that last fight. So I just see this being a good fight. And from a betting perspective, I'm kind of like, oh, why they got to match up these two guys I want to fade. But as a fan, I'm like, oh, man, I'm so excited to see two guys who I love watching, two guys who I, I've watched their entire careers. And and just the way they both fight, these two are going to stand and bang either till one man falls or until it goes you know, to a three-round fight of the night. So for that said, man, I, I think that it's a dog or pass situation and the dog is Barbarena. So as much as it hurts me to, to pick against, you know, the ruthless one, the guy that the future Hall of Famer, the guy we got so much respect for, the guy we all know and love, Robbie Lawler, I, I'm going to slightly, it's not too confident, uh, but I'm going to slightly lean with Brian Barbarena just uh, for the underdog price here. I think he's got slightly less in the tank. So let's go with Barbarena here. Now, kicking off the main card, uh, someone said uh, Lawler at minus 125 is a steal. Listen, I think a couple years ago, Lawler at minus 125 is a steal of the century. I mean, I think a few years ago, there's without a shadow of a doubt that Robbie Lawler wins this fight. I think it would just be a, it'd be a max bet. It's just, it's not a few years ago. My boy's 40 years old now. So, and I'm not saying he can't win this fight. I mean, Barbarena is there to be hit. Jason Witt dropped Barbarena. Let's not make no mistake about it. So, but can we rely on Lawler? Can we rely on that same ferocity, that same intensity? Or is it going to be, you know, backing up into the fence, trying to shoulder roll, doing some shadow boxing, doing some uh, footwork with nothing else behind it? Like, that that's what I'm worried about, man. But I, I feel your point. I mean, like if if we know we're getting that that root the ruthless ruthless Robbie Lawler, then hey, you might have a point. But it screams dogger past to me. So that's just me. Been wrong before, and I'll be wrong many times again. Now, kicking off the main card, we got a matchup between Pedro Munoz. He's 19 and 7 representing Brazil, taking on Sean O'Malley, who's 15 and 1 representing the USA. And currently they got it. Sean O'Malley, just depends where you look. I see everywhere from minus 300 to minus 370. And the comeback on Pedro Munoz, 
is plus 250. So I actually bet Sean O'Malley at minus 250 um, to win two units. That means I lay down five units on it. And I already did my job as far as getting the best of the line. I mean, at minimum, I beat it by 50 cents. But come fight night, I mean, we might be looking at a whole dollar. So now I just need him to go out there and win. No, listen, man, Pedro Munoz is a guy I got so much respect for. I mean, Pedro Munoz is an absolute dog out there he's a guy that fights with his heart fights with his balls is never in a boring fight has been in there with all the toughest guys in the division obviously the calf kick game is on point he's got he's got that one hitter quitter too his guillotine is world class and another underrated weapon that pedro munoz brings to the table that a lot of people don't like to talk about or at least they forget about is that stabbing front kick he's got even hurt aljamain sterling the current champ with that and I believe he might have stopped uh, Brian Caraway with that with that kick as well. So, you know, Pedro Munoz, such a grizzled vet, brings a lot to the table. And then with Sean O'Malley, I mean, I think that he's a very experienced, long, I want to say unorthodox, but he's a stance switcher. You know, just a, a serious striker for the Bantamweight division. You don't have to see guys who are almost six feet tall at Bantamweight. And then there's the whole talk about, oh, just go out there and kick his leg. And I, I, I think that's easier said than done, man. I mean, if it was so easy to go out there and just kick his leg, then, you know, one time and this and that, then why is the only guy that's been able to capitalize on that, the number five guy on planet Earth, Marlon Chito Vera, who just happened to hit the right nerve? And then the other instance of O'Malley hurting his leg was when he head kicked uh, Andre Sukumta and broke his foot. So, you know, there's that, of course, but I don't think it's as simple as, oh, just kick his leg, man. Like, like you think Sean O'Malley doesn't know that people want to kick his leg? I think that if if Pedro Munoz gets the opportunity to do so, I think there's going to be a straight either right or left wing for him down the pipe. I wouldn't even be surprised if O'Malley comes out in this fight mostly southpaw to kind of mitigate uh, the leg kick attack. And you got to give so much credit to Pedro Munoz's guillotine. You all know I'm a big fan of the guillotine. You know, it's funny. The other day I was just chilling, like, you know, it was the morning, just eating a little breakfast, getting ready to go to the gym. And, you know, I tweeted out a couple things I thought was funny. And then I go to jujitsu class. I come back and like dudes are like writing paragraphs and shit and like having like back and forth arguments. I was like, God damn, y'all got a lot of time on your hands. You know, it was, it was a lot of fun, but you got to, really admire the way this guy gets his guillotines i mean the russell Doan fight just absolutely getting lit up by russell Doan, and the way he was able to maneuver around the body of russell Doan and dangle off that neck almost like uh charlotte's dubronx or his miles jury absolutely beautiful the rob font fight getting absolutely lit up by rob font and hits him with one big right hand rob font shoots a desperate shot and pedro snatches that neck right away so i mean yeah that i mean if, if o'malley gets hurt if O'Malley gets desperate and he decides to take a shot which O'Malley doesn't shoot for takedowns but if that if this is the case if this is the time when he does you know then I deserve to lose this bet <laughs> you know that guillotine is on point and then to talk about the calf kicks a good example of Pedro Munoz's amazing calf kick game so you guys remember that fight he had with Cody Garbrandt and the only thing that you know, people like to talk about is, oh, Cody Garbrandt went full kamikaze. Cody Garbrandt was on a suicide mission. Like, why was Cody Garbrandt just charging him recklessly? You want to know why? The reason why is because those calf kicks were adding up. Those calf kicks were accumulating. And it got to a point where only one or two more calf kicks by Pedro Munoz and Cody Garbrandt wasn't going to be able to move. So it was like, all right, I got to say, fuck it. I got to bite down on that mouthpiece and I got to try to get this guy out of there. Killer be killed. 
And unfortunately for him, he was the one that ended up getting caught. But make no mistake about it, the reason that Cody Garbrandt charged him so recklessly at that moment in the fight was because those calf kicks were adding up from Pedro Munoz. So you got to give Munoz a lot of credit for that. I'm a big fan of Munoz. But at the end of the day, the, the way these two match up, I just don't think you can get hit six times per minute and beat Sean O'Malley in a fight, man. Like, uh, I think that Pedro Munoz is going to be there to be hit all night. And then I also think that he's on kind of a bit of a decline. And, and I say that with all due respect to a guy I've been watching for so many years. But again, back to the kinds of things that we've been talking about. Like, let me pull up the... Uh, not just the rankings, but let me pull up the UFC roster because you, you guys know how I like to talk about um, I like these these guys that are currently ranked are about to be ushered out the rankings, right? So, like, currently at Bantamweight, they got, you know, like, for example, like Marlon Marais was just recently ushered out the rankings, but he was holding up, like, a top 10 spot for God knows how long, right? Uh, Pedro Munoz is number nine, right? Frankie Edgar is number 11. Like, you mean to tell me, like, these guys like Adrian Yanez and Umar Nurmagomedov, uh, are not just about to come out here and usher them out the rankings, the Jack Shores, the the Ricky Simones, this and that, like, because I think they totally are. And that's exactly what's happening here. This is another one of those examples where I think Sean O'Malley is going to take Pedro Munoz's spot um, in this fight. And I just think that he's going to come out here, a lot of stance switching. I don't think the leg kick is going to be as readily available as a lot of people think. And also... O'Malley's proven that it's not just a first round or bust thing. He can that output carries on into the later rounds, and he's not knockout reliant. He's got tremendous volume, and I think he can carry on that volume for all three rounds. And Pedro's just there to be hit. Oh, but back to that decline I was talking about. So I think the Frankie Edgar fight was where I first noticed it. And I know that that was a fight that a lot of us thought. You know, maybe Munoz got robbed, maybe not, this and that. But the fact that it was even in question, I kind of spoke volumes to me that, you know, maybe Munoz isn't kind of operating like he once was. And then you take it to the Jose Aldo fight. And look, I mean, Jose Aldo, one of the all-time greats. I mean, I have a signed poster of Jose Aldo with a WEC belt on my wall, like to the kind of respect I have for this guy. But guess what? It sounded like Pedro Munoz also had a signed picture of, of Jose Aldo on his wall, too, because, I mean, I've never seen Pedro Munoz go out there and ask any fighter for a selfie or an autograph in the middle of the octagon during a fight. I mean, that was a clinic by Jose Aldo and another clear sign that I think Pedro Munoz is starting to be a bit content. I think that he's kind of plateaued. I think that we haven't seen ev any evolution in Pedro Munoz's game. I think that he is what he is, and he's his finished product, whereas O'Malley, you're going to still see these big incremental improvements fight by fight. He's still in his 20s. He's still evolving, and not to mention, he's just got a very tough style to deal with at the Bantamweight division. He's tall, long, the volume, the range, the distance. Um, the variety of the shots. So, yeah, that's why I moved in at minus 250 on Sean O'Malley. I put five units to win two units. Um, again, got the best of the line by a mile now, which I'm very happy about. So I did my part. Now it's up to Sean O'Malley to go do his. So, you know, all due respect to Pedro, huge fan, always will be. But I think it's going to be Sean O'Malley's night Saturday. Now, 
Main event of the prelims, we got Brad Riddelli's 10 and 2 taking on Jalen Turner, who's 12 and 5. Currently, they got it. Jalen Turner minus 145. The comeback on Brad Riddell is plus 125. Give me one second, y'all. Let me do a quick refresh on, on fight odds. Okay. Yeah. So minus 145 plus 125. This is an interesting fight. Because Jalen Turner is a guy that I'm, I've admittedly been very wrong about, right? Like when he first came into the UFC, he had a bunch of knockout losses outside the UFC. And I was questioning like, and they were bad knockout losses. They were brutal. Like I was thinking like, is this guy chinny? Can he not take a shot? This or that. But what he's evolved into, like, is just an absolute monster. And back to the talk we were having, you know, how I was saying that these guys are going to be ushered out the rankings. You know, Jalen Turner and Brad Riddell are prime examples of what I mean. I mean, like right now at Lightweight, I believe Tony Ferguson's number nine and Dan Hooker's number 13. You mean to tell me, you mean to look me in the eye with a straight face and tell me that Jalen Turner and Brad Riddell can't go out there and beat Tony Ferguson and Dan Hooker? And again, that's all due respect to Tony and Dan, who I've watched their entire careers. I respect those guys so much. It's just there's a new wave of lightweights coming up. The Demir is Magulabs. The Guram's really good. Mateus Gamra, Armand Saruki. And like these guys are just about to usher out that old guard with ease. So this to me is a is a you know a showdown between you don't want to call them prospects, but you want to call them emerging contenders. Uh Jalen Turner and Brad Riddell, that is. So Back to how I mentioned how Jalen Turner had a bunch of knockout losses outside the UFC. Was it a thing where he simply just wasn't ready for those fights? Was it a thing where he was where he's still a bit chinny? Because I don't know, because like I've seen him eat some really big shots lately and act unfazed. He's completely unfazed. So like, like what exactly is the deal, right? Um, what do y'all think about that? Y'all let me know, like in, in the comments, man. Like, is Jalen Turner chinny or was he just you know, took a couple fights he wasn't ready for at the time, and it was just the growing pains to get him to where he is now. Because where he is now, like, uh, God damn, has Jalen Turner uh, turned a corner. No, no pun intended, right? Hey, everybody, all 90-plus of y'all watching right now, do me a huge favor and smash that like button. I truly appreciate you all being here with me. Thank you very much. My boy Oscar just came, in, came into the room. The dog walked in. Does that mean the dog is live in this spot? Um, so, and then as far as Brad Riddell is concerned, man, Brad Riddell is very impressive as well. That war he had with Drew Dober and, you know, for a guy who's got a, a reputation of being a former world champion kickboxer goes out there against Dober hits four or five takedowns. Dober is a very durable, tough guy to go out there and win a fight of the night against him. Only a couple fights into your UFC career. I think mean, that's impressive. And I, I wouldn't hold the Fiziev fight against him either, man. Uh, Dominic said he's not chinny because of Luke's next level power. Yeah, I'm not even talking about Luke. I'm talking about pre-UFC. Like pre-UFC, he got knocked out like four or five times. So that's what I'm referring to. So like, is he chinny or was he just kind of not taking the right fights or was he not as focused as he is now? Like, like what's the deal? I don't know. That Because he's been taking shots fine lately. So I, I, don't, I really don't know. But back to Riddell. Obviously, the Dober fight, like I mentioned, super impressive. But Man, like that physique fight was an unbelievable tactical, technical battle between two of the best strikers in the lightweight division. And you just can't sit here and hold that against 
Brad Riddell that he got caught by a guy like Fazeev. Like Fazeev's fighting next week against RDA in a main event. And um, I know who I got. I think some of y'all know who I got. I think I'm going to have a bet on that fight. But like, uh, let's just say when you see, uh, <laughs> I guess I'm going to give my pick now. When you see what Fazeev does in that fight, I think you're going to understand that you shouldn't hold it against Riddell. And not to mention, that was such a badass fight with Riddell. You know, it, again, it, it's just like one of those fights like we saw the other day, whether it was the Demiris Magula versus Guram fight, whether it was the Armin Sarukian versus Gamera fight. These emerging lightweights are just on a different level. Like, you remember when the top guys were, you know, the Anthony Pettises, the Cowboy Cerrone's, the Jim Millers. Oh, I, I love them all. The Tony Ferguson's. Like they all got my respect. It's just those were the top guys then. These are the top guys now. It's just, you know, they got a um, certain people have been grandfathered into the rankings because of their past accomplishments. And now this new wave is about to usher them out. The Jalen Turner's, the Brad Riddell's. So this is a tough fight for me to call because it's like my heart is saying Jalen Turner because I've been more impressed with the with just the improvements he's made and what he's turned into. He's turned into an absolute force at 155 pounds, six foot three with the 77 inch reach, knows how to use that reach, has a lot of variety and is not just a one dimensional striker, man. I mean, you you shoot a sloppy takedown on a guy like Jalen Turner. He's snatching up that neck, man. I know he's got a Darson Anaconda series. I know those long arms can get under that neck. And also when I saw his fight against Matt Frivola in ATL back in, uh, I think it was 2018, same night that Dustin fought Max and Kelvin fought Izzy, like, I wasn't impressed back then. I was like, yeah, I don't know, uh, uh, whatever. But since that fight, dude, like, oh, my God, has become an absolute beast at lightweight. And then Brad Riddell has just always been solid throughout his UFC career. So I think this is a really good test for Turner to see exactly where he stands. And for Brad Riddell, if he can bounce back from his last fight, which I know it was a loss on paper and it was a loss in reality as well, but it was a hell of a fight. It was a high-level fight. Look, someone's got to win, someone's got to lose, but it was such, it was still an amazing fight. So this fight comes down to how these guys manage the distance. You know, uh, obviously there's a big height difference here, but that uh, that doesn't necessarily always matter. I mean, Volkanovski is the shortest guy in his division. He's the champion, so it's all about managing that distance. And Brad Odell is a world champion kickboxer, so. I, I think that he knows exactly what he has to do in this spot. But again, this one's tough. This is one of the fights where I'm kind of stumped. Like my heart is telling me Jalen because of the improvements, but my logic is kind of telling me like, well, you're getting plus 125 to plus 130 on uh, Brad Riddell. Like it might be worth a poke to kind of see if, if Turner's ready for that next level. So I don't know. I lean Turner, but man, this is one of those. I just want to sit back. Get get that Tempur-Pedic pillow going, uh, you know. Get the recliner on. Have make myself a nice adult beverage, uh, and just sit back and enjoy this fight. So yeah, I, I cannot wait for that one. Now, next up in the welterweight division, we got a rematch. Nearly ten years in the making between two absolute legends of the sport. Donald Cowboy Cerrone is 36 and 16, taking on Jim Miller, who's 34 and 16. And just so y'all know, this fight's at 170 pounds because a lot of people were concerned. Oh, Donald's cutting weight three times, this and that. This fight's at 170, not at, not at 155 pounds. Currently, they got it. They got it. Uh, Jim Miller, it just depends where you look. 
minus 210. The comeback on Donald Cerrone is plus 168. Hold on a sec. The fight odds format right now is kind of messed up. So let me see what best fight are. The best fight odds are talking about. Okay. Yeah, no, I was right. Currently, they got it minus 210, Jim Miller. The comeback on Donald Cowboy Cerrone is plus 165. So, first time they fought, for those that don't know, um, they had a competitive first round, and then Cerrone was actually able to go out there and head kick, knock him out in the first round. And, you know, yesterday I did a podcast with my buddies in the club and sub podcast. And the reason I'm bringing that up is because, well, firstly, check it out. But secondly, because Cerrone is the original, the original king of the club and sub. And let me explain what I mean by that. So it took Cowboy Cerrone until his, I think, 19th or 20th uh fight pro fight to get his first knockout and it was and it actually happened to be against uh the current ufc lightweight champion charles dubronx Oliveira. actually interestingly enough both jim miller and cowboy cerrone have first round finishes over charles Oliveira. but the reason i was bringing up that it took you know like nearly 20 fights for cerrone to get his first knockout officially was because he had a reputation of dropping guys and subbing them right away, man. Like in the WEC, that's all he'd do. Drop him with a big shot, hop on that neck. Drop him with a head kick, hop on that neck. You know, drop them. They take a sloppy shot, snatch that neck and take it home, man. So uh, Cerrone's the original king of the, the club and sub. And then Jim Miller, man, and he's not far behind, man. I mean, Jim Miller, you shoot a sloppy shot on Jim Miller, that guillotine's right there. You let Jim Miller take your back. Uh, that Mata Leon rear naked choke is going to be there. So, I mean, both these guys, you know, I, I shed a tear talking about both these guys. Like, these guys are such bona fide legends of the sport and two guys I got the utmost respect for. But it's just, I, I don't I don't agree with the line, man. I mean, listen, I actually bet on Joe Lozon at like plus 160 against Cerrone. Reason being was that Cerrone has always been a slow starter. He's not wearing damage well. And Lozon is a first-round swarmer, so I thought Lozon was going to be able to swarm him in that first round. And then I'm aware if it goes past the first round, that's where you know you you, you got to kind of be worried because Cowboy starts getting into his rhythm. You start seeing some of the most beautiful combinations you've ever seen, whether it was the, that combination, the famous combination he hit on Rick Story. Like, God damn, but just throughout his career. Uh, you've seen these flashes uh, of brilliance uh, from Cowboy Cerrone in, in all aspects of the game. But let's but let's not just talk about the combinations. Let's not just talk about. Let's not just talk about the fact that this guy's got the most head kick knockouts in UFC history. Let's talk about this guy's blast double. He's got this nasty, sneaky blast double that he hits on almost everybody he fights. And there used to be a time where if you weren't a top five guy or a champion, you weren't beating Donald Cowboy Cerrone in a fight. Like that that's just how things used to be. But nowadays he's losing the guys that he would have never been caught dead losing to. Like if I would have told you five years ago that Donald Cerrone lost a fight to Alex Morano, and that's all due respect to Morano, who who's he's a dog. He's a shark, you know, according to his nickname. The guy is a lot of fun to watch, but like a few years back, that would that would have been an ass whooping uh the other way around, right? Like so it's it's clear that you know my boy Cerrone has seen better days but on the other side of things i know that jim miller's had some recent success against guys making their ufc debuts 
but this is the opposite of making your UFC debut. Jim Miller and Donald Cerrone both have the most fights in UFC history, right? So, I mean, this is actually a historic fight, and it's going to be so good to see these two legends throw down. So I think the dynamic is the same as most Cowboy fights where early going has to go to Jim Miller because an another thing about Jim Miller I understand that these last two fights, he's actually gotten second round finishes. But for the most part, if you kind of zoom out and, and, and look at, you know, what the history says, the history says he goes hard as fuck that first round, but tends to slow down as the fight progresses. And if Cowboy can weather that storm and the thing that the reason it's different than the Lozon fight is that Lozon is more of a swarmer, kind of hurts you more with strikes, whereas Miller is more of like a, a scrambling type swarmer, whereas, you know, Miller will hop on your back like one minute into the fight and like most guys ain't getting out of that, right? But the guys that do, those are the ones that take over late. So I think there's more of a, a grappling threat from Miller, whereas there was more of a getting swarmed with a first-round TKO threat from Lozon. So that makes me like Cowboy more mixed in with the fact that the line is where it is, right? Like last time, uh, Lowe's, um, uh, Cowboy was the minus 200 favorite against Lozon. Lozon was plus 160, whereas here... Miller is the minus 210 favorite and Cowboy is the plus 165 dog. So I, I think there's a dog or pass situation. It's just it's kind of tough when you got a washed up fighter that, that you're betting on. All due respect to, to you know, to the future Hall of Famer. Um, so if I mean, because like you look back at like a fight between Miller and Selecki. Selecki pulled guard on Miller in that first round. It's not even like Miller had to expend too much energy in that first round. And he was still kind of kind of just out of breath and shot that second and third round. And I understand he knocked out this guy, Ghost Pepper, in the second round. Ghost Pepper is not going to be in the UFC this time next year. No no disrespect. That's just my, that's just my projection. Um, and then Nick Mata, who I actually think is a decent prospect, but that was Nick Mata's UFC debut. I mean, the, and you're fighting Jim Miller, who's got the most fights in UFC history, who's never made the, uh, you know, uh, Jim Miller's got the most fights in UFC history, taking on a guy who's never made the walk. So, like, that it kind of made sense it went down how it went down whereas here both these guys are equally experienced so i think they both know what to expect i think that jim miller knows cowboy ain't been wearing that damage that well i think he knows he's got to jump on him early um but i think that with cowboy sometimes it's about the confidence he knows he can beat this guy he's head kick knocked out this guy before there's going to be no surprises here so i'm going to lean with cowboy because of the price man plus 165 i think uh it's a dog or pass situation not not necessarily tempted to bet it just because you know i, I don't really i'm not in the business of betting on washed up fighters but if i were to bet a side that would be the side because of the price so price is everything when it comes to betting when it comes to pure picks okay i understand if, if you take miller here but uh yeah i, I I'm, I'm gonna go with uh i'm gonna go with cowboy Cerrone to get this upset and Let's see what happens. Now, next up in the welterweight division, I got a bet on this one. We got Ian Gary. He's 9-0, representing Ireland, taking on Gabe Green, who is 11-3. And currently, depending where you look, we got Gabe Green minus 185. I see all the way from minus 185 to minus 210. The comeback on Gabe Green is is plus 150. So I moved in on Ian Gary earlier in the week at minus 155. So again, I feel like I did my job already beating this line by like 30 cents or more. So now it's about Ian Gary coming out here and performing. Now I understand a lot of people feel a certain way about Ian Gary. Uh, 
oh man, he he's trying to be like McGregor. He's cringy. He's this. He's that. And I don't give a fuck about any of that. None of that matters when it comes to making bets and you know this and that. Like I really could give two shits about any of that stuff. Like it really holds zero weight in my book. And if you're gonna be a hater, then you probably shouldn't bet money. Like like people like to hate on O'Malley. Like okay, hate on him all you want, but don't let that affect where you put your money. Like you got to be able to keep the two things separate. Um, you know, there there's certain people I don't like. Not too many. I, I actually get along with most most right. Like some people hate on me for no reason, but and I say no reason. I know I give them a reason, but you know what I'm saying. If you actually met me in person, for the most part, I'm a pretty decent guy. I think I'm a nice guy. But uh, back to this. Ian Gary, people don't like him. They think he's cringy. They think he's that. Oh, he's trying to be McGregor. Oh, this and that. It's a gimmick. Okay, cool. I don't give a fuck. What does that have to do with his fighting style? Because when you actually look at him fight, like the kid's got skills. He's got very good distance. He's got nice variety on the feet. He can punch. He can kick. And don't sleep on the guy's ground game either. I mean, the guy gets taken down. He pops back up. He also has a bit of a submission game too. Not to mention he's been five rounds on the regional scene. He's tested. And he's got heart. He's got balls. I mean, I've seen him get tagged up. In, in fights before and come back and win so like to me for a 24 year old prospect i think he's the complete package and to take it one step further this dude's from ireland he could have stayed in ireland he could have stayed in his comfort zone and gotten lesser training but at least you know get to sleep in his bed and you know get to be around his family this, this dude moves all the way to sanford mma in florida has been training there for a few years like out his comfort zone like those are the things I like to see from young prospects and someone that you should take seriously. So those are the things I put stock into. I don't give a fuck about, oh, you know, he said a couple cringy quotes and now we're going to act like we should bet the other side. Like, fuck that. That's a losing mentality, man. Uh, view the skills for what the skills are and leave the hoopla and the talk on the back burner because at the end of the day they ain't getting into a talking contest they're getting into a fist fight on a saturday night inside a steel cage live at the t-mobile arena at ufc 276 on the prelims on espn plus so about his opponent gabe green i mean what can i say gabe green's an absolute dog and not just at the betting window is he a dog he's a dog in the fights man this is a guy that'll go forward this is a guy that'll give you everything he's got and if you're betting on him i get it i mean he fights for your money and a lot of people cashed on him that last fight against uh, the Canadian guy, the Johan Lanais guy. But, like, a great cash. You know, he went out there and did his job. But don't sit here and look me in the eye with a straight face and act like that was smooth sailing. And, you know, people will criticize Ian Gary's last fight. Oh, it was a boring fight. I don't fucking care if it's exciting or boring. If I'm betting it, just just win. You know, give me the best of the line and just win. Like, I don't give a fuck. You don't have to go out there and have a knock him out, drag him out fight. But part of the reason it was boring was because his opponent was avoiding the fight. Whereas this guy, Gabe Green, he ain't about to avoid no fight. And the reason I like Gary here is because Gabriel Green is there to be hit. Green gets hit entirely too much. He's very reliant on his, I believe he's got some Mexican heritage. I mean, just by the way he fights, and by the way he's able to take shots. I just don't think you can do something like that here against a guy like Ian Gary. I think that Gabe Green is going to be hit over and over. And I, I see, you know, most likely that uh, that Gary comes out here and wins a decision. But if it's time to put Gabe Green down, then it's time to put Gabe Green down. And I won't be surprised by a knockout either. So, again, I got the best of the line. I hit it minus 155 to win two units. That means I risk 3.1. 
And let's go Ian Gary. I think that this is a good matchup for him. Look, will there be a time or place to fade Ian Gary? Yes. But like people are like, oh, I can't wait to fade Ian Gary. And I think that's such a loser mentality because to me, it's like, okay, cool. You can't wait to fade him. But like, what about focusing on the task at hand? What about focusing on the fact that like he's fighting Gabe Green this weekend? How about we make money on this fight? And then when it's time to uh, fade him, we cross that bridge when it comes. Like you can't, you can't get emotional. You can't, you know, watch him post a video on Instagram of him dancing and then be like, "Oh, I'm gonna make money on his opponent this weekend." Ru ru ru. How do they match up stylistically? I think one guy's an outside sniper, and I think the other guy's gonna charge him recklessly and is gonna be there to be hit and is gonna get sniped. So I got Ian Gary to win this fight. And hopefully he cashes this bet for me. And I think he's someone y'all got to look out for. I mean, word on the street from the people at Sanford. And I'm not talking about just nobody. I'm talking about the Jason Jacksons. I'm talking about um, uh, Michael Johnson, who, who you know, so, uh, established guys. I'm talking about the coach Henry Hooft. Like, all these guys are on record. Gilbert Dorino Burns. All these guys are on record talking about how, like, Gary is the guy who is, like, the first one in the gym and the last one out. So, like, again, you can watch – these cringy videos all you want but the bottom line the work ethics there the skills are there the youth is there the size is there and stylistically speaking i think he's got something for gifted gabe green so i think the one that's going to be gifted on saturday night is ian gary so ian gary for the win now Next up in the middleweight division, we got a matchup between Brad Tavares, who's 19 and 6, representing Hawaii, taking on Drikus Duplessis, who's 16 and 2, representing South Africa. And I know he wants to get one back uh, for South Africa because, you know, y'all saw my boy Cody Durden take care of JP Byers. And, and all due respect to JP Byers, man, I, you know, we've all been through some hard times in life. And I hope that. The kid picks himself back up. He's still young, still got a bright future. I mean, he's only 25 years old. So, you know, shout out to the JP Buys. I hope that he goes out there, picks himself back up, and, you know, gets back up on his feet again. But for Cody Durden, big things ahead, my man. And uh, just to spoil a little something, I'm going to have Cody Durden on the show this Tuesday, live on Dan's Tuesday Night Contender. So look forward to that. Now, currently, they got it. Brad Tavares. I believe this is incorrect. Here we go. Currently, they got it. Drikas Duplessis, minus 155. The comeback on Brad Tavares is plus 125. So I'll be the first to admit I missed the line. You know, my lean is, is Drikas Duplessis, but, you know, I, I was excited about that plus 110. I was excited about that plus 100, the plus 105, to kind of find out if he's ready to pass this veteran test. But I missed the line. It's minus 155 now. So there's no reason to force a bet. If anything, the values on uh, on Brad is just here, here's my deal with Brad. Firstly, Brad's I mean, how can you not respect Brad Tavares to be in the UFC since 2010 and still be here going strong? Like, dude, that speaks massive volumes. And everybody, do me a huge uh, favor and smash that like button for me. And if you're not subscribed to the channel, please do. Just trying to grow this, just me and y'all. And currently. So, oh, yeah. So what I was going to say was Brad Tavares is a guy who he's been in the UFC since 2010 to be in the UFC since 2010 just speaks absolute volumes to just this guy's work ethic, this guy's grit, this guy's tenacity and his skill level, because how many times have you all seen people either get cut or released or 
don't get re-signed from the UFC after their first contract. You see it over and over and over again. And for Brad Tavares to be in the UFC over 10 years, like, dude, you got all my respect in the world. So, Brad Tavares, you're a stud. My issue with Brad Tavares is, well, firstly, I don't have an issue with his style. I mean, you got to love the leg kicks. You got to love, you know, we used to call him a Hawaiian Bisbing because, you know, if if a fight's going to decision, Brad Tavares is most likely winning, right? Um, but uh, the thing is that I feel like his style hasn't quite evolved. And that's a big issue, um, especially with these emerging guys. We're back to the conversation about ushering out the old guard into the new guys and with Drica's duplicity i think the way to describe his style is awkward but violent right like it it doesn't look the prettiest you know he's a little bit rigid doesn't really move his head gets hit a lot but like when it's his turn to land his shots like the way these guys look when they get hit the reaction on their faces like these guys don't know what hit them and it's easy to sit here and say you know, something like, oh, we don't have a sample size. And I think that's bullshit because like, OK, it'd be it'd be one thing if we were talking about some five and oh guy, you know, making his debut who had a bunch of first round finishes like that. Five, five fights is nothing like that's not a real sample size. But you go back. I mean, this dude, Drick is duplicy is what, 16 and two. We're talking about 18 fights where he's been able to pull this off. So he's very damn effective, and he's beat some good guys. You know, Roberto Soldich, one of the best guys outside the UFC, knocked him out. I know they had two fights. Um, and then the way that he handled uh, Trevin Giles, like right when it looks like things aren't going Drickus's way, I mean, just that one shot, just the looks on these guys' faces, the Marcus Maluco fight, getting tagged up right away, and then all of a sudden, boom, out cold. And we can say, oh, Marcus Maluco was lighting him up, lighting him up. I mean, Marcus Maluco, like, was a guy that choked out Anthony Fluffy Hernandez. Marcus Maluco choked out Ian Heinish. Like, just because people have ups and downs when they're fighting the toughest guys, like, doesn't mean that they're slouches, man. And Drickus finds a way to win. So I think if it goes to decision, that's what kind of makes it tough for me because, um, because, uh, hold on a second. Someone, someone said, uh, uh, someone said, uh, oh no, never mind, never mind. Sorry, y'all, y'all are arguing, arguing amongst each other. Have at it, gentlemen. Um, if this fight goes to decision, I mean, it's very rare for Brad Tavares to lose a decision. I mean, Yoel Romero beat him by decision. Yoel Romero couldn't even get him out of there. Um, Brad Tavares is super tough, and he's just so disciplined with his game. He, you're not going to see Brad Tavares deviate away from what he's best at, the leg kicks, the jab, and his takedown defense, man. I mean, I've seen this guy balance on one leg like BJ Penn. Like He's another Hawaiian warrior. It's just sometimes from time to time that chin has been cracked. And if there's anyone that can crack that chin, it's a guy like Drickus Duplicy. So my pick is Drickus Duplicy. I do think at some point in this fight, he catches him. Obviously, I'm worried about what happens if this fight goes the full three-round distance um, because Brad has a knack for winning these decisions. I mean, like I said, Hawaiian Bisbing, that's what we've always called him. Um, and I missed the line on Drickus. You know, I wanted the plus 100. I wanted the plus 110, this and that. But minus 155, I'm no longer interested. And I, and I don't blame someone for taking a shot on Tavares if your logic is like, hey, like, don't get caught. And there's a good chance you win this decision. So I'm, I'm excited to see uh, this one. I'm going to go with Drickus. So, guys, everybody here, all 100 plus of y'all, do me a huge favor. Smash that like button for me. Hit the subscribe. 
comment, share, retweet, all those things. All those things y'all do truly help. You know, I don't have nobody backing me. It's just me and you. So like, let's grow this channel. And I'm truly happy to be here with y'all. So before we go on and talk about the last few fights, I wanted to give a big shout out to DraftKings Sportsbook, who are actually sponsoring today's episode of the podcast. So Here's what they want me to tell y'all. The calf slicer, the Peruvian necktie, there's tons of ways to come out and top in the octagon. And for UFC 276, there's one more with DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of the UFC. New customers can bet $5 on any fighter to win and get $100 in free bets. Whether it's Adesanya with a knockout kick or a powerful punch from Cannoneer, you win no matter what. And with DraftKings, same game parlays, you can turn another small bet into a big payday. Combine multiple bets like which fighter will win, number of knockouts, and more. For UFC 276, you can place same game parlay. And if it hits, you'll win double. So, guys, download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use the promo code LEVY. That's my last name, all caps, LEVY. Bet $5 on any UFC 276 fighter to win and get $100 in free bets no matter what. That's code LEVY, like Levi Jeans. That's how we spell it. This Saturday at DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of the UFC. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. All right. Hey, appreciate y'all DraftKings Sportsbook for sponsoring today's episode of the show. Thank y'all very much. So, guys, now let's talk about these last two fights. Uh, last uh, three fights, excuse me. Before we do that, again, do me a huge favor. Smash that like button. Hit the subscribe button. Share, comment, retweet, all that stuff. Let's do it. Here we go. Uriah Hall versus Andre Muniz. Uriah Hall, he's 17 and 10. Representing Jamaica, that's the, that's the flag he's repping. Taking on Andre Sergei Pano Muniz, who's 22 and 4, repping Brazil. And currently they got it. Andre, holy shit, someone laid a big bet on Andre Muniz. <laughs> Yesterday it was in the twos, now it's in the threes. Um, so. Currently, they got it. Andre Mooney's minus 320. The comeback on Uriah Hall is plus 265. Listen, Uriah Hall is super talented. Uriah Hall can explode on anybody at any minute. I mean, you've seen some super spectacular knockouts that he's gotten while losing fights, man. I mean, you see him, Musasi take his back for an entire round, and then second round comes around. He head, he spin kick knocks out. Uh, uh, Gegard Musasi. You see a lot of these other fights, man. The Bavon Lewis fights, losing two and a half rounds of that fight, and then just finds a nice counter shot, knocks him out. So Uriah Hall is very dangerous, but minute to minute, man, the the output is super, super low. I mean, Dana criticized him bad, not not just recently in that Anderson Silva fight for how low output they had for a USC main event, but even dating back to the John Howard fight, the Kelvin Gastelum fight, like. He'll have these moments of brilliance, but the actual, you know, the minutes of the fights are usually not won by Uriah Hall. And one thing about Andre Muniz, obviously we know about his great jujitsu game. And it used to be a thing where, like, you know, he could pull guard and sweep and then get the sub. But now I love the fact that my boy's out here mixing in blast doubles. And, like, okay, 
people can write off the Jacare win, which I'm still like, he's the only man to submit Jacare. Like, that's a big fucking deal. But let's not talk about that. Let's talk about how about the fact that he blast doubled Jacare, the Eric Anders fight. Like, I know Eric Anders might alternate wins and losses, but like, usually for the most part, when dudes beat Eric Anders, like, or even when dudes lose to Eric Anders, they're like these hard fought split decision fights that could go either way and this and that like they're they're usually really tough fights like and for andre muniz to just go out there blast double a guy like eric anders and just submit him right away like dude i think i think he's on to something right now so i'm gonna go with andre muniz to come out here take down uriah hall one time and be the first man in ufc history to submit him so i'm gonna go with sergey pano Andre Muniz to win this fight. Now, penultimate breakdown, we got a flyweight matchup between Jessica I. She's 15 and 10, taking on Macy Barber, who is 10 and 2. And currently they got it. Macy Barber, holy shit. Again, another line that got steamed. Minus 300. The comeback on Jessica I is plus 240. So here's the thing, you know, I hate talking about like, oh, which version of a fighter is going to show up because I feel like that discredits the opponent. But like with Jessica, I like from time to time, like she'll go out there and beat Caitlin Chukagan. She'll go out there and give Vivian Araujo a vet lesson. And then other times she'll have like a super lackluster performance against Cynthia Calvillo in, in a five round fight where like Cynthia is known for her grappling and Cynthia is out there outstriking Jessica. I. So like, or even dating back to the Sarah McMahon fight where she literally just stared at her for three rounds. Like Jessica I is the definition of a hot and cold fighter and a hit and miss fighter. You just don't know. It's like a box of chocolates. You don't know what you're going to get to, to quote whoever said that the other week, you know, shout out, shout out to that great movie. But, uh, with Macy, look, she's paid her dues. Macy's already knows what that first and second UFC L are like. Macy's only 24 years old. Macy's just a kid. And one thing I've been talking about a lot with these women divisions is that uh, physicality, power, and brute strength, brute strength, brute force can make up for technique. I mean, Jessica uh, Andrade has made a career off of that. Like, I mean, unless like Jessica Andrade is fighting like the Valentinas, who also who happens to have the amazing technique, like most of these girls ain't beating Jessica Andrade and Macy Barber being as young as she is developing her own style coming into her own. She's able to implement kind of that similar kind of, you know, just out physical these girls type style. And it's about the, who wants it more? You know, is Jessica? I still into this. You know, I've saw her post something the other day. I'm not talking about the OnlyFans shit. I'm talking about like she had like a something like taken out of her stomach i was like god damn like you're really posting that on social media like no i'm happy for her that she got it situated but like she's going through some health stuff and we just don't know what we're gonna get is this gonna be that vet lesson from jessica i like we got against vivi like we got against caitlin or is it gonna be you know the just uninspired unfocused jessica I, ready to retire jessica I, like, like we saw uh in that Cynthia Calvillo fight. So I'm not sure. But what I do know is that Macy Barber's coming in here hungry. Macy Barber's coming in here with a point to prove. This is the biggest fight Macy Barber's ever had, the biggest name. And I think Macy Barber comes out here and wins this fight. The only issue is the price sucks. I mean, like, I, okay, when it was like minus, well, like minus 180 to minus 220, okay, no big deal. But now we're talking minus 
300s. Like, I think it's gotten a little bit out there. I mean, it's probably accurate. So, like, there's no value on on Macy Barber at a line like that. I mean, she could tear her ACL mid-fight. Like, you know, that's happened before, right? But all bullshit aside, I do think Macy Barber kind of bullies her a little bit. But, you know, not really interested at laying it at minus 300. I need some guarantees at minus 300. I don't have any guarantees. So, yeah, the pick is Barber, but I'm going to pass. Now, last but not least, kicking off the card, we got a bantamweight matchup between Jessica Rose Clark. She's 11 and 7, taking on Julia Stoliarenko, who is 9 and 6. And currently, they got it. Jessica Rose Clark, minus 150. The comeback on Julia Stoliarenko is, my, is plus 130. You know, last time I laid a price like this on jessica rose clark she went out there and got armbarred and now she's fighting an armbar specialist i know that's been the narrative going around i understand why i mean on paper again jessica rose clark should win this fight literally everywhere as long as she doesn't get armbarred it's just like when you hear interviews after that last fight she said she literally did the one thing they trained not to do and she did it anyways and it's like when things like that are happening in fights like those are big red flags like you're let, let me give you a good example of, of like a let me give you a personal example so at this recent tournament i had in jujitsu and i'm not going to throw one of my um teammates under the bus because i'm not going to name names but i do want to give you all a specific example so me and this one teammate we both have similar styles right in jujitsu we both love top control we both love you know dominating from the top right like uh the scrambles are there and this and that but at the end of the day we want to be on top of these guys so that was the game plan for my teammate, right? Like it was like go out there, force a scramble, get on top, and 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 play your game. So the the bell rings, and the first thing my teammate does is pulls guard. And my coach, you should have seen the look on his face. He was like, like he, like we were in shock. We were like, dude, you've never like done that in the gym ever. Like why why are you doing that in live competition? And the reason I'm bringing that up is because with Jessica Rose Clark, like they literally train not to do. The specific thing she did in that last fight and then she did them anyways now look luckily for me uh you know my shit went my way because i grappled just like i do in the gym you know i want to be on top and I, and I, i'm going to play my game bottom line but for some reason my teammate who's also known for being a top control guy decided to pull guard which she's never done like in the gym go ahead and try new shit but in the competition man play your game buddy and jessica rose clark play your game girl like we want to see you go out there and do what you're capable of your hands are better than julia your kicks are better than julia i think in the clinch you're better than julia i think even on top you're better than julia it's just that julia is a specialist with that arm bar and arm bars happen to be more than low percentage in women's mma uh so and there's just the bad recency bias and bad taste in my mouth and the memories of betting jessica rose clark against another one-dimensional opponent where literally all she had to do was just avoid certain spots and not only did she not avoid those certain spots she went into those certain spots like if you go to the ocean and they tell you all right this is the air, you're you're allowed to swim right here but after kind of those barriers you don't go out of that part of the ocean whether it's for you know whether it's for they're possibly being sharks there whether it's for the What's it called? The rapids, the tides. Like what? What's it called? Um, the currents. Excuse me. Whether it's for the currents, whatever. 
you know, you don't want to go there. So, you know, there's going to be that one idiot who ignores that and goes diving right into the currents and gets sucked on there. And, you know, you, you don't want to see stuff like that. So, I mean, can I trust Jesse Jess to do what she's supposed to do here? Because I know she's fully capable of it, <laughs> but I just don't know if I can trust her. And I've already been burnt once at a price like that with her, so I'm not interested. The pick is Jesse. Just don't get armbarred and you win this fight. But at the same time, Julia, this is Julia's last chance. Um, and this is a narrative, what I'm about to say, because like I could have said last week, oh, this was J.P. Bai's last chance. He, you know, after all J.P. Bai's has been through, he's got to be coming in here motivated, hungry to prove a point. And it didn't fucking matter. He got knocked out in a minute by Cody Durden. So this is Julia's last chance. I mean, you, she's got to be coming in here hungry, back up against the wall like this is her chance. Um, but it might not matter anyway. So the pick is Jessica Rose Clark, but I am not betting it at the betting window. So now I'm going to talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch. But everyone do me a huge favor. and. Not only smash the like button, not only hit the subscribe button, not only comment on the video, uh, share, retweet, all that stuff, but give me some questions. Like, ask me some stuff. Like, I got some time to kill. Um, I got this one done, you know, quicker than usual, and um, my dinner arrangements aren't till later, so I got a little bit of time to kill. So if y'all want to ask me anything, literally anything, as long as it's respectful, but let's talk, man. Let's talk. I'm right here. So anything y'all want to talk to me about? Talk to me about it. Leave me some uh, comments and some questions, and I'll get to them in a second. But first, let's talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch. So besides the co-main event, I think that the fight to watch is obviously Brad Riddell versus Jalen Turner. I mean, I've been talking about this for so long, man, about how, I mean, you it's almost like I'm beating a fucking dead horse here, man, like how, you know, these guys are coming out here ushering out the old guard. And I think that right now, just like I said last week, or two weeks ago, rather, about how two unranked guys named Demiris Magulov and Guram Kutateladze are top 15 guys right now, I think that, uh, excuse me, I think that Jalen Turner and Brad Riddell are top 15 guys right now. I know officially Brad Riddell is, but I think Jalen Turner is too. You telling me he can't be Dan Hooker and Tony Ferguson? Stop. You know, so this fight is just going to be such a high level fight how the distance is being controlled in this fight is going to tell us a lot about everything. I mean, the fact that, uh, the, the fact that one guy is six foot three with a 77 inch reach, the, other, the fact that the other guy's five foot seven, like there's going to be a lot of chess going on, a lot of feints, a lot of misdirection, a lot of adjustments mid fight. Like I just cannot wait. And for that reason, Brad Riddell versus Jalen Turner is my, my fight to watch. Now my fighter to watch is, Ian Gary, man. Uh, Ian Gary, like a lot of people are talking shit about him. A lot of people are distracted by the fact that, you know, he might have a certain personality and he might think this, he might think that, but the kid's got skills. The kid can fight. And I think that's the most important part about it. So, and he's got an opponent here in front of him and Gabe Green, who's going to bring it to him. Gabe Green ain't about to, you know, fight like a you know what versus nobody. Gabe Green's going to come out here and fight like a true Mexican warrior. So, it's going to be a good test for Ian Gary. So for that reason, Ian Gary is my fighter to watch. All right. So um, let me answer some of y'all y'all's questions. So I'm going to scroll up and I'm going to see what y'all got for me. And uh, let's see. Let's see what y'all got. So give me one second. JC said, where is Shaq? Shaq uh, left the show, man. If you, uh, Watch the Magomed Ankle versus um, 
versus Tiago Santos episode, he explained it all in, in, in the first five minutes. Uh, you know, me and Shaq are still cool. We talk regularly. He just, uh, you know, had some other stuff uh, that was going on in his life. I mean, listen, like when you've been grinding on the show for so many years, like sometimes you want to pursue other things. So, you know, I wish him all the luck. We talk all the times. We talk all the time about the Braves, about fights and this and that. So, yeah, Shaq's the homie, man, and I wish him the best. And, you know, people were asking me, oh, are you going to replace Shaq? No, I don't think Shaq can be replaced. You know, I may have a new co-host at some point if, if you know, it's a good fit or something like that. But it has to really make sense. It has to be someone that I vibe with, I gel with, someone that's charismatic, someone that truly knows the history of the sport like I do like Shaq does like like we we've been watching this shit a long time and we we love this sport and we're also in I'm involved in the game you know um working with fighters you know now working with PFL a little bit like so and working with NFC prior to that you know so been been doing this shit a long time so if I find someone that's a good fit I'm not writing off the possibility but until then it's going to be just me or it's going to be um solid guests solid established guests um all right, let's see. Let's see what else y'all got for me. And I appreciate all the questions, man. And y'all can give me some hard questions too. If like there was something like you really want to know, like ask me, man. Like you can ask me about the shitty year I had last year, you know? Like ask ask me about anything, man. Like I'm down to talk. Like I'm I'm an open book, you know? I'm I'm me at the end of the day. Um and I think some of my experiences can hopefully inspire some of y'all. Um let's see. I'm scrolling down, scrolling down. Someone else said, no more Shaq. I think I just answered that. You have to go watch his explanation at the first five minutes of the Santos uh, versus ankle leave breakdown. Um, my boy Andy said, Dan, what up, man? What up, Andy? It's good to have you here, buddy. Um, let's see. Yo, what time is the presser at? I'm not sure, man. I'm not sure. Is it today or is it? Oh, yeah, today's Thursday. It's got to be today then, huh? Maybe like 7-ish, 7 Eastern time probably. That's in about, you know, a few hours. Uh, let's see Let's see what else y'all got for me. I'm scrolling down, scrolling down, scrolling down. Papa said, how is Shaq doing? He's doing well from what I can tell. Like we, we spoke a couple days ago. Seems like he's uh, doing his thing, so I'm, I'm happy for him. Andy said, dinner, who's the lucky lady, broski? Well, tonight or tomorrow or, you know, there's seven days in the week, young man. Nah, but seriously, uh, you know, you got, I'm 32 years old, so we got we, we to gotta find the one. But I do – there is someone I like right now. I mean, we got options, of course, but I think I might actually ask uh, someone out, you know, as more than – something something here soon she's probably listening to this so I, you know i'm, I'm gonna I, i'm gonna keep it on the dl but yeah you know we got our options and it's exciting times um dominic said how long you've been a drummer um i've been a musician since i was 10 years old um was actually playing in like all the clubs here in atlanta for a long time um got on tour with some bands before done some pro uh, session work in studios and then i took a break from it um after college to like you know start the podcast and now i'm actually about to so i graduated college and got a business degree and now i'm actually about to go back to school to get a real estate license i feel like that's that could be a really lucrative another way to make money um there was a quote by floyd mayweather uh, something about i don't remember the quote so i'm not going to butcher it but basically he was implying that 
you know, God never stopped making land or some shit. Uh, but b- bottom line, what he's trying to say is there's money to be made in real estate. So I plan to take advantage of that. Uh, Anon said, I got a question earlier. You said you'd be making an adult beverage while watching a fight. Do you drink alcohol often or just once a week? I don't really drink that often. I only drink if like I'm on a date or, or something like that. Um, whiskey ginger is usually my go-to whiskey with ginger ale, but um, I'm not, I don't discriminate. I'm down for whatever. As long, I know my boy Clint loves those fireballs. I fucking hate fireballs, dude. I can't do that shit. And I can't do Jägermeister either. I mean, that was some shit I was, I did like as a teen. Can't be doing that no more. But, you know, whiskey ginger, uh, vodka tonic, you know, maybe, uh, some shots of Patron, you know, stuff like that. Oh, and, and I love red wine. Red wine's always a good go to. Um, Andy said, Dan, who is your most confident pick and bet? And will you post the plays on Twitter? I already did post the plays on Twitter and I posted as soon as I played it. I had five units on O'Malley at minus 250 to win um, to you. And then I had 3.1 units on Ian Gary minus 155 to win two units. So, I mean, if you guys ever got questions about my bets, if you don't see me, if you missed that I tweeted it, you can always go to uh, to my bet MMA profile, which is just best five picks and they're always there and it's free you know I, I was touting like last year and shit i fucking hated touting dude touting took the fun out of everything and people say oh it was just because of the results well the reason the results were the way they were was because it was just not fun anymore it took the it was just too much pressure it's just you 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 want so hard to not just win for yourself anymore you want to win for other people that it just took the fun out of everything you go to bed stressed wake up stressed i fucking hated every second of it and it just totally changed my opinion because going into it I had, you know, three double digit wins where I was thinking like, yeah, like, you know, I'm going to actually help a lot of people by doing this, but I'm glad I went through that experience. I would never do it again. I fucking absolutely hated it. And now as a result, I'm having a great winning year and, you know, I'm just back to betting like I normally bet, betting for myself. And if anyone wants to tell you're more than welcome to, but at the end of the day, you got to think for yourself. That's the bottom line. doesn't matter who I'm on. doesn't matter who this guy that guy's on got to trust your own gut and use proper money management canal said can said when did you quit weed and how did you feel now after you quit so um i quit a quite a while ago because i felt like it was starting to like affect my breathing a little bit i mean i still like train jujitsu like every single day and i try to like you know be in good health and a lot of people say it helps them recover but here's the thing with weed, like weed's not going to kill you. Weed's not going to make you go fucking, you know, (laughs) jump off a bridge or fucking, you know, do sexual favors for the drug or some weird ass shit like that. Like weed's not going to do anything like that. Like, so like when people say weed's harmless, yeah, it's harmless in that sense. Like you're not gonna, uh, you're not going to go to jail. Like, Oh, I say you're not going to go to jail unless you're smoking in a place where it's illegal. But what I'm saying is you're not going to fucking go rob people for weed or do any shit like that. But what weed will do is, and a lot of people will disagree with this. They might find this controversial. I feel like it kind of will make you 1% more complacent every day, 1% worse every day, at least for me, it's different for everybody. Um, And those 1% add up, you know, it might be like I wake up, I'd been smoking the night before and, oh, I don't, I don't feel like going to the gym today or, oh, I've been smoking. Now I got the munchies. Now I'm going to go fucking eat everything in the fridge, like little things like that. Like, and those things add up, man. So, um, I just, you know, I go to the gym now six times a week. I have 
I'm just doing so many things. I'm going out all the time. I'm about to go back to school and get a real estate license. Like I feel like it just uh, weed is the ultimate complacency drug, right? Again, you're not you're not gonna you're not about to go crash a car on weed. You're not about to go fucking jump off a bridge, but you will be complacent and you will not for everybody. Some people are different. Some people are highly motivated when they smoke weed. For me, not that I didn't have fun doing it. It's just more so I'm more inclined to go eat the whole pizza after weed. I'm more inclined to sleep in late. I'm more inclined to skip a workout. And those little things add up over time. So it just, um, yeah, it, I, I just made the right decision not smoking anymore. But make no mistake about it. I'm not against it at all. I, I think it should be legal. I think everybody should have their choice. And, you know, do what you got to do. Um, okay, let's see. Marcus said, wouldn't it be better if the fighters exited opposite sides of the stage after stare downs instead of the same side? Well, they got the security guards there. So, you know, and I think these fighters want to get their paycheck. And in order to get your paycheck, you have to fight. So I think most of them are, are um, professionals. Dominic said, how are the withdrawals? I mean, they were fine. The only thing that's been different is like I've been having like these crazy ass dreams, like lucid ass dreams. That's like been the big difference. I mean, might have been a little like irritable, like for a couple days, but you get over that quick. Um, <laughs> Shane said, "When was the last time you got your duck sucked?" Um, not nah, uh, that's between me and her. <laughs> Funny question. Uh, Mark says, "How do you feel about fight podcasters betting ten dollar units but acting like they're hitting?" lotto on twitter would you subscribe or how about a podcaster talk uh taking the sports book sponsorship i mean listen we live in a free country people can talk about whatever they want to talk about i mean yeah certain things can be annoying and whatever and some people only post their wins don't even bring up their losses but they're not breaking any laws so i mean do you but Real recognize real. You guys re recognize who's doing shit the right way. I mean, sometimes I guess it can be frustrating when you see, you know, a, a, a dude who will literally post like all 10 wins he had that night and then just ignore any losses he had. But at the end of the day, I don't care. I just focus on myself. And I think you should focus on yourself too. As far as taking a, a sponsorship from a sports book, um, I mean, listen, man, like this show is not cheap for me. I have to pay StreamYard X amount per month to run the show. I have to pay SoundCloud X amount, X amount per year to run this show. So sponsors is how I make money off this show. Um, so yeah. So, you know, if, if other people want to sponsor me, then let's do it, bro. Like that's how we keep the lights on on this show is sponsorship. Like, and if you want to start doing this full time, which I've been lucky to do at times is you, you got to get sponsorships and sponsorships pay the bills. So, you got to do what you got to do to to keep the lights on. Grateful dude said, how many finishes do you think there will be this weekend? I don't know, but hopefully a lot. Papa Chuck said, what fighter do you despise the most, male and female? I don't really despise anyone, man. I respect them all. Um, uh, I don't know. Like, even like Aljamain Sterling, like, I, I respect him. Like, I like I know that it's easy to, like, get caught up and make jokes and talk a little shit. But at the end of the day, I respect all these guys. I got to think if there's one that I actually genuinely don't like. But off the top of my head, I can't think about it. I got love for most of these guys. So 
yeah, they're all cool with me. Um, Dominic said genre, uh, rock, rock music. Rock music was my specialty. Um, but I love all kinds of music as long as it's good. Dominic said he played double bass in symphony. Oh, that's dope. Yeah. Um, I know a little something about symphony. Uh, so this is not symphony, but actually back in high school, I was in uh drum line. I was the captain, captain of the snare or lead snare and captain of drum line back in high school. That was pretty cool. It, it was badass when you go play these rival schools and like we'd have these drum offs and then sometimes they turn into fights and stuff like that. Good times. Um, Cesar said weed makes you paranoid. Yeah, it makes you overthink things, and I don't like overthinking things. Capone the Ghost says, smash the like button. You know, I like this guy. I like this guy. Smart man. Do me a huge favor. Smash that like button. Um, Alex said he's on day four of quitting weed after 20 years of daily use. Loved your insight on that. Yeah, dude, just just keep going. I know there's going to be some hard times. It's going to be some times when you're fiending. And it's so easy when you're smoking weed all the time to be like, oh, I got to I gotta smoke weed before this meal. I got to smoke weed after this meal. I got to smoke weed before this movie, after this movie. Like all, all that shit, I get it. But just give it like, just get to that one month mark and and you won't feel that need to do that anymore. So much respect. HT said, I'm starting an MMA podcast tomorrow. Good for you, man. Just go for it. Go for it. G-Man said, who are my favorite drummers? Okay, so Chad Sexton from 311, I think is an amazing drummer. Uh, Ray Luzier from Korn is just a phenom. And then I like some other drummers that play with like some pop artists. Um, they, they got the gospel backgrounds. Uh, Aaron Spears plays with Usher. And then, um, fuck, what's my boy's name? Oh, shit. Gerald Hayward. Gerald Hayward. You know, Tony Royster Jr. There's a lot, a lot of bad motherfuckers out there. Those are those are the ones that come to mind. Mark said, listening since audio only, probably over eight years, uh, over five years. I don't think it's been quite eight, but but I sincerely appreciate you, Mark. It means a lot to me, man. Um, so any, anything else before I get out of here? If not, I'm going to wrap this up. This is the last call. Uh, quick pick PFL. All right, let me check the card. Let me check the card. All right. Kayla Harrison versus Caitlin Young. You got Kayla Harrison. Oh, and speaking of PFL, I got like some interviews from some of the PFL fights for the last three weeks, like on my YouTube channel. So ch make sure y'all check those out. This week I had Kayla, uh, Rory, Sadibusi, and um, Jara, um, Jara Al Salawi. Yeah, yeah. All right. Anyways, let's see. Caitlin Young versus Kayla Harrison. <laughs> Come on, Kayla. Kayla's about to smash that. Uh, Rory Rasadibu. Mm, it's tough. It's tough because it's like Rory is still as dangerous as he once was, but I got questions about the hunger if fights get extended, if fights get tough. So it's like, do I have a guarantee that Sadibu C is not going to just get choked out or pounded out as soon as it hits the mat? If I have a guarantee of that, then I think he's a live dog. If not, it could be another Rory first round finish. At the betting window, it's a dogger pass situation. Brett Cooper versus Ray Cooper. As long as Ray Cooper's not injured or, you know, demoralized from his last showing, he should make quick work of this guy. Jenna Fabian versus Larissa Pacheco. I'd say Larissa Pacheco. Only thing is, isn't Jenna Fabian like six feet tall or something like that? That's pretty big for for, for a chick. So, but I, I got to go with uh, Larissa Pacheco. Magomed Karamov versus Joao Zeferino. Uh, Karamov. 
but respect to Zeferino. He's, he's a vet. And then this is the interesting one. Magomed Umalata versus Jarrah Hussein Al-Sulawi. Al-Sulawi. Uh, Salawi is very talented, man. He's got a win over the Austrian Wonder Boy. He's beat some. He beat. He knocked out Carlson Harris as well. He's done some cool things. Had that close fight with Tebow. A lot of people thought he might have uh, lost, but Tebow has proven to be a tough out, man. Tebow gave Khabib a tough fight. Tebow gave Rory a tough fight. Like Tebow's a tough out. Sometimes it's tough to look good against a guy like that. And then Magomed Umalatov. I don't know much about him that except, except that he's an undefeated Russian. So I guess the value would be on uh, Jara. So let's go with Jara. Nikolai Alexakin versus Carlos uh, Liao. I'm going to go with Nikolai Alexakin. I've always been impressed with this guy, and he's the underdog here. And I think once he finally like puts it together, I think he's I think he can be something. Um, Abby Montes versus Marina. I don't know. Martina Jindrova versus I, I don't know. And then Elena versus Vanessa Mello. I, I also don't know. So I'm sorry about that. Um, Marcus said, do I watch? Hold on a second. Marcus said, do you watch UFC Invented? Yeah, I've, I've, I've caught a couple of them. Yeah, they've been they've been pretty cool. Um, Papa Chuck said, have a great weekend and best of luck with the lady friend. Oh, thank you, man. I appreciate that. So, guys, thank you so much for everything, for being here. I truly, sincerely appreciate it. Smash that like button. Hit the subscribe button. Um, after this video is up, hit the comment. Like, comment some stuff. That helps with the algorithm they like to talk about. And then share. And my dogs are ready. Leo, you want to come here? Say hi. This is my boy Leo right here. He's my my one and a half year old German Shepherd. Is he not adorable, this guy? Um, but uh, yeah, he wants me to stop the podcast now. All right, I got you, bro. I'm coming. Don't worry. I, I promised you I'll take you out. Give me a sec. Um, so yeah, smash the like button, hit the subscribe. Like I was saying, leave me a comment and um. I will be uh, back next week on Tuesday. Got Cody Durden. And then the week after, we got uh, the next UFC card. So I look forward to that. Everybody, best of luck uh, with your bets. And thank you so much for all the support you've shown me over the years. You know, for the old fans, the new fans, and the fans that are yet to come. Thank you all so much. And until the next time, let's cash these bets.